You guys are always asking me, Liz, what the heck do you do on your long runs? And Kate has recently converted me to Audible. With Audible, I'm able to combine my two favorite pastimes, running and learning. If that isn't the most Alyssa thing, I don't know what is. I know, right? So Audible has helped carry me many, many miles with audiobooks and podcasts. And the best thing about it is I'm able to download them directly to my phone and listen to them while I'm offline, running through the woods in the middle of nowhere with no cell service. And since I have a reading list approximately as high as I am tall, there's no other way I'd be able to consume so much with how busy I am. That's exactly why I love Audible. I've been a member for years now because I honestly cannot read enough books if I have to sit down to read them all. Audible has been a godsend because I can listen to audiobooks while I'm cooking, working out, or walking my pup Rocky, but my favorite way to use Audible is as I'm going to sleep, and you guys, I recently found out that Audible has bedtime stories narrated by none other than Nick Jonas and Tony Shalhoub, who you may know as the character Monk. Their voices are like so perfectly sultry and like they really guide you off to sleep. It's incredible. So every month, members get one credit to pick any title, no matter the cost, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digest and guided meditation programs, dare I say, by no other than the Pete Diddy himself. If that doesn't scream littlest meditation, I don't know what does. The Audible app is available on all smartphones and tablets, and you can download titles to listen offline anywhere and anytime. You can start listening today with a 30-day trial. You get one title plus two Audible originals for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash messymiddle. That's audibletrial.com slash M-E-S-S-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high-quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. This is Alyssa Lenick of Littlest Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Welcome back to Coach Carmichael Chats. Today, we are finally going to be talking about sleep. I want to take you through how much sleep you actually should be getting in terms of both quantity and quality, 
and how you can prepare yourself for the best sleep ever with sleep hygiene practices and what types of activities would be good for winding down and helping you develop a routine that is unique to you because not everyone is the same and not everyone is going to require the same things for sleep or find the same things relaxing. So the big ticket question is how much sleep is enough? And for most adults ages 26 to 64, it is recommended that you get seven to nine hours of sleep to avoid negative consequences of chronic disease in your life, as well as just to benefit your overall health and well-being. And these are guidelines given to us by the National Sleep Foundation that did a lot of research that formed these guidelines. And these recommendations are based on outcomes of performance, executive function, which is a type of cognition that we use a lot in our work, learning, mood, memory, accidents, anxiety, suicide, stroke, attention deficits, glucose intolerance, academic performance, obesity, mortality, morbidity, hypertension, impulse control, pain, health, heart disease, myocardial infarction, coronary artery disease, diabetes, and lipids, and that is just to name a few. And so as you might guess from that list, sleep is important for so much. So that is why I really encourage you to try to get those seven to nine hours. Those are most recommended for your health. But it is possible, because we are all different individuals, that sleeping less than seven hours or more than nine hours each night can be healthy for some adults. This is where a lot of people like to claim that they fall. Oh yeah, I only sleep six hours every night and I just work fine. Sleep is for the week, right? And I'm willing to bet that that's not the case. If you find yourself falling asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow, feeling drowsy in your downtime, relying on caffeine to get you through the afternoons, you're probably sleep deprived. And that only considers consequences you're aware of. There's a whole host of outcomes that you may be doing poorly on that don't reach your level of consciousness. For example, we could use electroencephalography, or EEG, to measure the speed of processing in your brain to find out that it's much slower than your well-rested peers. We might also catch you microsleeping, which is experiencing a short period of unresponsiveness and changes in brainwave activity that may occur unbeknownst to you. That's right, your brain will take you hostage if you're not getting enough sleep. This moment of sleep can be incredibly dangerous, especially during certain activities such as driving. And the harsh truth is, sleep-deprived individuals are poor judges of their own performance. All this to say, consider yourself average, don't sleep in the maybe adequate category, aka less than seven and more than nine hours, assuming that you're fully operational unless you've got the evidence to back it up. Fun fact on this topic, there is a very small percentage of individuals that can sleep for less than five hours each night without impairments, but when rounded to a whole number, it is still zero. But duration isn't the only part of this conversation. Sleep quality is also very important. And we can define sleep quality and give it a couple of parameters, such as sleeping at least 85% of the total time you spend in bed, falling asleep in less than 30 minutes, but 
not as quickly as, let's say, five, waking up no more than once per night, and being awake for 20 minutes or less after initially falling asleep. There is one way you can simplify all of this, and that is to ask yourself, do I wake up feeling rested most of the time? If the answer is no, you may need to consider extending your sleep duration or working on your sleep quality, which brings me to our sleep hygiene recommendation. One of the easiest things you can do to improve your sleep is to take a look at your sleep environment. Your bedroom should feel like a sanctuary. It should be relaxing as soon as you enter, and I highly recommend taking the TV out of the bedroom if you have one in there, but we will get to that in a moment. In terms of your sleep environment, there are four key elements. Low temperature, low light, low noise, and high comfort. In terms of low temperature, our body naturally dips a little bit lower than its normal body temperature at night when we are primed for sleeping. So having a cold bedroom environment actually helps facilitate this lowering of our body's natural temperature and keeps you cool uh, because as we know, it's not fun to wake up hot and sweaty in the middle of the night. In fact, you're more likely to have nightmares or just more vivid dreams when you are sleeping in warmer temperatures. So for our cool bedroom, we recommend a temperature of 60 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a lot cooler than most people are willing to put their thermostats in the summer. And so for that, I recommend the use of a fan or maybe getting a personal AC just for your bedroom so you're not paying the bill for the whole house. You can also choose breathable fabric for your sleepwear and bedding to help cool you off. When it comes to low light, it is especially important that you consider your light exposure an hour before bed. So this starts before you climb into bed. While you're getting ready, start dimming the lights in the house. Your body's natural hormone, melatonin, is only produced in the dark. And this hormone is important for signaling to the rest of your body that it is time to go to sleep. It's also important that you keep your bedroom environment as dark as possible while you are sleeping. And I highly recommend the use of blackout curtains or eye masks in order to reduce any light that you may have from your windows. Maybe it's a street lamp or what have you. So moving on to low noise, I highly recommend white noise devices or you can get an app for this. And some of these apps include other noises like sounds from nature that can be really relaxing as well. If you are struggling with noise from maybe your neighbors or you live near a busy street, for example, I highly recommend you get some earplugs. They do make some that are specific for sleeping that are going to be more comfortable for your ear overnight. Finally, with high comfort, of course, the first thing we have to mention is your mattress. And while there's no magic number for how many years it'll take for you to replace your mattress or essentially when you need a new one. However, if you do wake up with any aches, sores, pains, or excess muscle tension, it is a good idea to look into replacing your mattress and possibly your pillows too. Now let's move on to chatting about some of the behavioral ways that we influence our sleep and the best practices I can recommend for getting a good night's sleep. 
First and foremost is having a consistent bedtime. Your body has an internal clock. It's called your circadian rhythm, and it can be disrupted by frequent changes in bedtime. In fact, I know it's really popular to sleep in on the weekend, and that causes a phenomenon that's similar to jet lag. It's actually called social jet lag. And associations of inconsistent sleep include poorer health, insomnia, weight gain, and greater stress. Instead of sleeping in on the weekend, try to extend your weekday sleep by just 15 minutes. That adds an extra one and a half hours of sleep to your entire week. Transitioning to a more regular sleep schedule will take time, so be patient, but that consistent bedtime routine is going to help you wake up feeling more refreshed quicker. Now, we talked about dimming the lights before bed just a moment ago, but managing your light exposure in general is one of the best ways to improve your sleep. Light is the greatest signal on our biological clock, which regulates when we sleep and wake. So light exposure is really important during the day and should be reduced at night. At night, artificial light can delay melatonin production, increase alertness, and shift the body clock back. My recommendations include getting more sunlight exposure during the day, beginning to dim the lights in your house an hour or more before bed, using blackout curtains or eye masks, and avoiding night lights or replacing those like yellow and blue lights for a dim red light. Red light is actually the least potent in terms of dampening your melatonin production. Limiting caffeine is another very important sleep hygiene practice. You may have heard that caffeine has a half-life of about five hours. This is the amount of time it takes to eliminate half of the caffeine, and the remaining caffeine can stay in your system for much longer. In fact, caffeine consumed even six hours prior to bedtime has shown to significantly disrupt sleep, even when you no longer feel the effects of caffeine. So my recommendations is to limit or eliminate afternoon caffeine and find alternative pick-me-ups if you are feeling tired. Taking a walk outside in natural sunlight, for example, or having a healthy snack, drinking more water, all of those can be beneficial to our energy. But of course, when it comes to limiting our caffeine, it can be very difficult because we initially feel a lot more tired. But continuing this cycle is going to allow you to go to sleep better, finally get more rest, and then be more energized throughout the day. So it is a short-term sacrifice sometimes for a long-term benefit of being well-rested. Now, we talked about light exposure and how it dampens your melatonin production. What is important in that conversation is the light that is emitted from our technology. So your phones, tablets, computers, and televisions all emit a blue light that is actually the most potent. It affects melatonin the greatest more than any other light type does. And of course, melatonin is important for signaling for sleep. So my recommendations is if possible, remove blue light sources an hour before bed. And I know this can be challenging because a lot of us use our phones or our TVs to help us relax and wind down for the evening. I'm going to suggest some alternatives in a minute, but for now, know that that is going to be beneficial for your sleep. And if you're not quite willing to give it up, you can get some blue light glasses 
Um, they're blue light blocking glasses. They are yellow or orange tint, and these can be helpful um, to remove some of that harmful blue light that is going to your eyes, which then affects your melatonin production by uh, shielding you with a glass. The other thing I'll say about television in particular is that a lot of us will watch programs that might have a lot of action or dramatics or end on a cliffhanger, and these shows can be harmful to sleep, not only just from the blue light of the TV, but in the content. Because if you are getting riled up by your television program, you are more likely to have a hard time falling asleep because you have essentially activated your sympathetic system when we want to activate our parasympathetic system, which allows us to relax. A healthy habit we can add to our sleep hygiene routine is to exercise daily. And that doesn't have to look like a really specific training plan necessarily, but just being active and moving, especially in the daylight, is going to be really helpful for our sleep. All kinds of activities, including aerobic, anaerobic, mind-body, all of the activities that move your body are recommended, and 150 minutes of physical activity per week is suggested to give you the best benefits, but any amount of activity is better than none. My next recommendation is to limit your time in bed to only sleeping and sexual activity. We want to associate our bed with sleep and not any other activities that we're doing. So my recommendations are to remove technology from the bedroom so that you're not tempted to work, watch, or scroll in bed. Don't watch the clock while you're in bed. This can add to stress when we are trying to sleep. And then finally, if more than 20 minutes pass and you are still stirring when you're trying to fall asleep, get out of bed and do something relaxing until you feel tired. Remember, we don't want to associate the bed with feeling restless and unable to sleep. That is the opposite of the goal that we want to achieve. I have two final recommendations that have to do with food and drink. When it comes to hunger and thirst, we don't want to be on the extreme ends. So we don't want to be super hungry or thirsty or super full before bed. Ideally, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. My recommendations are to stay hydrated throughout the day and avoid drinking large amounts of water before bed if you find yourself waking up to go to the bathroom at night. For meals, we typically don't recommend eating like a large mixed macronutrient meal within 90 minutes of bedtime. However, this is not a hard and fast rule and it certainly does not relate to calorie consumption and you know, the myth that exists that if you eat past 7 p.m., all of your calories will turn to fat. Simply from a sleep perspective, sometimes the digestive process can interfere with a restful, high-quality sleep. This is not true for everyone, and especially if you have a higher metabolism, eating closer to bed is less likely to be disruptive. However, if you do believe that eating close to bed is impacting your sleep, we recommend that you a, make sure that you're not, you know, super hungry before bed, so eating more throughout the day, putting more of your calories at the beginning of your day, um, and if you really are hungry and you need to have something before bed but you're worried about that affecting your sleep, try a small, you know, 150 cal or less simple 
like one macronutrient snack that doesn't appear to negatively affect your sleep. Finally, when it comes to alcohol, a lot of people believe that having a nightcap or a drink before they go to bed is helpful for sleep because it allows them to fall asleep faster. However, alcohol can impact your REM or rapid eye movement sleep, which is really important for brain activity and clearing out brain waste that accumulates during wake. It also replenishes cognitive resources that are important for memory consolidation. So especially if you are a student, having REM sleep is extremely important. It is helpful to note, however, that this REM sleep occurs primarily at the end of your sleep cycle. So at the end of the night slash early morning. So if you feel like alcohol is impacting your sleep, you're waking up in the middle of the night or earlier than your wake time, you might want to consider reducing alcohol consumption as a whole. And the other alternative would be to swap your nightcap for happy hour. So drink that alcohol earlier, give it plenty of time to metabolize so that by the time you are primarily in REM sleep towards the end of your sleep cycle, your alcohol is no longer impacting that stage of sleep. I know that all of these recommendations give you a lot to think about, and for some, it can be stressful. You might be thinking, gosh, I already have to do a million other things to be a healthy person or to live a life of wellness, and it seems like all of these sleep recommendations are just more things to add to my list. And I totally hear that, but I want to assure you that finding a sleep hygiene routine that works for you is completely individual. So you have a lot of choice in this, and you also get to listen to your body and figure out what makes the most impact. Maybe eating close to bedtime has no effect on you, but what has been really impactful is putting your phone away even a half hour before bed. So you don't have to get everything right in order to have good sleep. Sleep hygiene is not a one-fits-all type of situation. And if you are not exactly sure where to begin on figuring out what sleep hygiene practices are most important for you, I highly recommend that you head over to coachcarmichael.com and you sign up to get your free sleep diary. There is no catch. I will send you an email with the Excel file that calculates everything for you and you will not receive another email from me, at least as of November 10th, 2020. I have not sent a second email to anyone who has downloaded the sleep diary. And what is helpful about this sleep diary is that it takes a look at the habits that you already have in place in terms of how much sleep you're getting and what type of behaviors that might be impacting your sleep, like we just discussed. So it asks you about your caffeine and your alcohol, your meals, if you exercise that day, when you turned out the lights to go to bed. And this diary is really simple to use. It's an Excel with a drop-down selection. So you just go through the form um, every night and every morning for seven days. And I promise you, it takes like two minutes to fill out. It can be really quick. But if you want to take more time, there are some free spaces for um, that you can use to journal or you can use to write in anything else that the diary is not specifically tracking. 
at the end of the seven days, what you get is a full zoomed out picture with all of your variables calculated. So this includes how much time you actually spent sleeping as opposed to how much time you spent in bed. And you can see um, on good nights of sleep, what were the habits that I had in place for that day? Or let me take a look at my worst night of sleep this week and notice some things that might have contributed. Like, oh, I drank caffeine much later into the afternoon than I typically do. Or I had a glass of alcohol this night and maybe it seems like alcohol is related to when I have worse sleep and worse dreams, for example. Essentially, this diary allows you to be the detective of your sleep and figure out what is going to be the most impactful for you personally. Before we wrap up here today, I just want to take a moment to talk about wind down routines. What you do leading up to bed can help create a recognizable pattern for your body to associate with sleep. So just like we said, we want to keep the bed associated with sleep. We can make our wind down activities associated with increased rest and relaxation, which leads us into a more peaceful sleep. So first and foremost, this goes back to having a consistent bedtime and that can help keep your circadian system in line, which is going to be most beneficial for signaling your body that it's time to go to sleep. Some of the recommended wind down routines include breathing exercises, gentle stretching, listening to a podcast, taking a warm bath, reading a book in dim light, coloring, crafting, or journaling. This can also include activities like your skincare routine, brushing your teeth, or preparing for the next day by laying out your clothes or packing a lunch. The point of a wind-down routine is not only to signal to your body that it's time to go to bed, but to choose activities that are enjoyable and relaxing to you. So I can't tell you what the best wind-down routine is for you. That is something that you can discover on your own. And that is it for today's Coach Carmichael Chat. As always, I would love to make this conversation a two-way street. I want to know what you do for your wind-down routine. Come to my Instagram at Coach Carmichael and let me know what relaxes you the most in preparation for bed. And if you've downloaded my sleep diary and used it, I'd love to hear some feedback. So please DM me at Coach Carmichael and let me know what you discovered about yourself and your sleep routine. Until next time, live well, demand better, and stay messy. 